Welcome, Deacon Joseph. Thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Now, you are one of our transitional deacons here at St. Faustina Catholic Church, and you've been with us for how long now? About two, maybe three months. Two, three months, and it's a quick, quick stay here yeah, at St. Faustina. Now, now, normally I understand that uh, a transitional deacon will be with a parish for an entire year. That's right. Every other weekend. So what happened here? <laughs> if you could explain, please. Yeah, you know, I, I think I like to say I'm kind of crashing a party here. Deacon Houston Acoma <laughs> is y'all's real transitional deacon uh, assigned to this Don't parish. Don't say real. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. He's he's the uh, assigned transitional deacon okay. here. Um, and he, um, so he he'll be coming um, every other weekend, or that was the plan. We'll see what happens with coronavirus. Um, and then, um, but for me, the reason why I have a little bit of a different uh, stay with you all is because in the summers, I, I study in Rome at the North American College. Um, and so I have a little unique opportunity to to do my theological training over there. Okay. And so th throughout the year, I'm actually in Rome. So there's no way I could come to a parish every other weekend um, in Houston. Okay. Uh, so that was the plan ever since that you'd only be here for a few months. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This summer I was supposed to go to Mexico, but um, that didn't work out because of... Because of all that's been happening. Exactly. Okay. And then how did you end up in Rome? Yeah. Great question. A uh, question I ask myself often. Uh, yeah. I, I would say... So after I graduated from the University of Dallas, Holy Trinity Seminary is where I went for my philosophy degree, the first, the first sta stage. The Cardinal asked, uh, Cardinal DiNardo asked me to go to Rome to do my theology there. Okay. And so uh, he was the one that asked me to go over there. Um, and so about, um, I've been there now three years and uh, doing my theology there. Most, most guys do study here in Houston, uh, but for me, he wanted me to go over to Rome and experience the universal church in Rome. And so, so why do you think you were chosen to go to Rome? A great question. Uh, again, another question I ask myself every day. Uh, what I, what I tell people is that, um, it's not so much that it's something I did or something extra special about me. I think a lot of people have the, um, the capacity to go over Rome. It's just depends on the timing and, and, uh, Cardinal Leonardo likes to send some guys over there to get, get extra, um, an extra degree so that you can possibly teach at the seminary here in oh, Houston, okay. um, teach a little bit upper level courses. And, um, and so it was just the right timing where, uh, he needed someone to go over there. Uh, I, um, I fit the bill and he felt like it could be a good opportunity for me. So it's a little bit discerning who the guy is, what Rome would be, what that experience would be like. And, and it just worked out. So, so did you speak Italian before? No, not at all. No, so I had, that's not a factor, the language. No, no. I mean, they. I, I spoke I spoke a lot of Spanish before. Okay. Um, and so they knew I had at least a capacity to learn a language. But no, you, you don't know any, any Spanish or any Italian going over there. And so the first two months when you get over there is all Italian immersion. The first month I was over there and I just, I went to Siena and I went to stay with a Nona is what they call them a grandma. Okay. And so, uh, and, and so I live with, uh, an Italian, an Italian Nona and she cooked me all my meals oh, and she know wow. no English. So she was just speaking Italian during the day. And the first four hours I was Italian, uh, classes. And then two hours in the afternoon, I had just one-on-one -on -one tutoring with a, a oh, tutor. Wow. So six hours of formal training in Italian, 
all my meals with the no-no were in Italian, of course. And then, so just a full on immersion for a whole month of just living. Wow, um, that's, a, a, that's the way to learn though. To exactly. Get exactly. Full immersion. The next month I was back in Rome at our college, the North American college. And we had four hours of class every morning and just continued to learn. And then, and then they threw me into Italian classes, master's level, <laughs> and you just got to sink or swim, you know? Wow. Uh, it's not that bad, but it is, it is, um, it is kind of crazy. For it's us. a big leap from rudimentary language to classroom language. Yeah, it is. That's a huge leap. Cause I, I, I did learn later in life when I was a little older in my late teens, I learned to speak another language and it's very difficult going from hi, hello to classroom academic language. It is. Yeah. I remember I was, when I was in Siena towards the end of my month in Siena. So we were, we were about a month out, one month away from starting our classes in Italian. And uh, I turned to one of these, these guys I just met from St. Louis. And I said, Patrick, we're learning right now how to say, I like ice cream. I like the color red. And in a month, we're going to be learning about the hypostatic union, these high Christology and this like, how is this ever going to work? You know, and I would have thought that they would choose somebody who knew a little Italian. You know, I think that if someone knows Italian, that certainly they, they would have. Okay. Uh, I think just at the time, our diocese just didn't have anybody that knew Italian. Okay. And, and so at the timing, they were just like, okay, we'll send you over. But most of us that go over there that we don't know any Italian and it's just you, you just have to try to pick up the language as fast as you can and do whatever you can. To, so are, are, so are you saying that if anybody's in the seminary right now or, or thinking about going to the seminary, if you want to get that shot to go to Rome, <laughs> then learn some Italian so you can tell the Cardinal when you're in the seminary, Hey, I know Italian. Yeah. Send me over to the Vatican. Yeah. I would tell anybody who's in the seminary or thinking about the seminary, do not raise your hand for anything. Cause if you raise your hand, you're not going to get it. So oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's kind so. of a joke. It's a joke, but, but uh, no, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, why not learn Italian? But uh, it is, uh, yeah, there, there's really, it's hard to know the rhyme or reason for why that happens. It's all about timing, all about different, a lot of different uh, things. So how long before you you actually left for for Rome did you find out? Did, how much lead time did you have when the, from when they told you, okay, you're going to Rome till you actually leave? Is it yeah. like a month? Do they just tell you, okay, next no. week you're going? Or no, we're fortunate here. The cardinal gives Cardinal Donardo gave me um, a lot of time, so he told me in December, and then that following July I left. So okay. I had about six or seven months to okay. get ready and tell my family and break the news to my parents. You know, it's funny. I like to tell the story when I told my parents because I got called by at the time it was Father TJ who took over for Father Dat as the vocation director, uh-huh. and he called me and asked me. The Cardinal would like you to go to Rome. Would you be okay with it? And I said, let me think. Yeah, I'll be okay with it. And then, uh, <laughs> he, uh, and so I went and, 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 and so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to Rome. I was like, I better tell my parents. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was very somber on the phone. I was like, mom, dad, I want to let you know, um, for the next five years, I'm going to go be studying in Rome and, and leave, you know, thinking that they'd probably be a little upset that their uh-huh. son, yeah, he's not, they're going to see me a lot. I'm going to yeah. be gone for nine months or two years at a time. And, uh, and then there was just an eruption of excitement, like, yeah, 
was like, oh, what? <laughs> why, why are you so excited? I mean, if you wanted to get rid of me for five years, there's a lot of other ways you could have done than try to get me to go to Rome. But no, they were just as happy and uh, for me and excited. And so. Were you expecting them to, to like, oh, my baby boy exactly, or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> I was expecting my mom to be all upset that she was going to lose me for a long time. You know, I, I mean, I won't be at home for Christmas for five years, you know, things like mm. that. So it was just... There's little things that that means, but no, they they were just excited for the opportunity. So how many from Galveston, Houston what, are going with you? Is it just you or is there a group of a uh, handful of people? No, it's right now it's just me over there. So, okay. Yeah. So when you're there, you meet people from all over the world. I do. Yeah. So the way it kind of works is we have a, um, a seminary, the North American College. So that college is kind of like a dormitory is just for Americans. Okay. We, we also give the Australians some place too, because they don't have another college. So we have the Australians and us, we live together. Um, and so I meet people from all over the United States. We all live together. Mm-hmm. And then when I go to the university, the Gregorian university, where I just graduated from, um, they, uh, that has students from all over the world, you know, Africa, Spain, France, all these different places in the common language is Italian. So you learn in Italian, speak to each other in Italian. So but you really have to learn. It forces everybody to learn. Exactly. Italian. Exactly. So it forces everyone to learn Italian. And, um, but it's kind of fun. you you, uh, you're speaking to a guy from Germany and he only knows German and Italian and you only know English and Italian. So you're both speaking in your second language to each yes. other. And so it's a, it's a unique experience that you get to have. So it's pretty fun. So, so let's go back to your family. Are you a cradle Catholic? I am. Yeah. So I was born and raised Catholic in Lake Jackson, Texas. Uh, St. Michael's is my own parish. So not too far from St. Faustina. And, um, my, yeah, my parents, both Catholic. My dad was a convert when I was about 10 years old from, he was a Lutheran, grew up Lutheran and, uh, and just studied a lot of the Catholic church and, just realized that he he uh, he believed what we believe in the Catholic Church, and so he converted. And uh, my parents very involved. My my parents for 10, 12 years ran the confirmation program at the church, and uh, my mom for three years was the principal of the local Catholic school. Nice. Yeah, my dad ended up after like right when I was entering seminary, he went and got a master's in uh, theology wow. and then became a chaplain at the local hospital. So um, yeah, I, I was raised by some pretty awesome, awesome faith. Your mom Catholics. is a cradle Catholic. Yeah. Okay. So, so your dad was like, okay, um, what was it like early on before your dad converted? Yeah, it's a good question. My, my, my dad, he, um, he always said that he knew it was best for the family to go to one church. Okay. And he wasn't, he didn't have too much problems with the Catholic church. And he knew it would be a lot easier for him to attend the Catholic church than it would be for my mom to attend a Protestant church. And so he just was like, okay, we'll go to the Catholic church. And, and so we, uh, you know, I always considered myself Catholic. I always mm-hmm. considered our family Catholic. I knew my dad wasn't, but uh-huh. it, they were very intentional about we're being raised Catholic and we believe what the church believes. And so, um, yeah, so it wasn't, it actually wasn't that big of a shock when he converted. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting So thing. he wasn't dragged into it. No, oh, no, no, yeah. Like, <laughs> he had been married at that point um, for about 15 years without okay. being Catholic. So 
It was so. Uh, so he went through the whole RCIA process, or was there not one at that time? Uh, yeah, it wasn't really. He actually didn't because he was he was so knowledgeable and he knew the pastor of the parish so well. Okay. Um, he was act the the pastor there was even letting him teach some classes, do some CCE because he stuff. knew so much already. He knew so much already, and he told my dad, he's like, John, you you know more than probably the RCIA teachers, so why don't you all just just make it official? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just let's just make it happen. And so he why you know, are we he, beating around the bush? Yeah, exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. So he just he met with my dad a couple times, and then they he got brought into the church. Did he ever say anything like how when he first? met your mom, how he had no idea that he was going to end up actually getting a master's. In the- <laughs> yeah. We haven't really had that discussion about how, like how, how far his transition in life has gone. I mean, he's, he's an interesting guy, but he's always been so, uh, so involved in his faith. And so, um, yeah, committed. I think, yeah, it probably would be a little bit of a shock to him at that time to think he would be Catholic. Uh-huh. But he had gone to like a Protestant seminary and... Uh, oh, he went as far as a seminary. Yeah. Okay. So he he did that. And even people, when we were growing up, I remember I had friends asking him to start his own church and like... Oh, really? Yeah. He was... He, yeah. So he's, a, he's, he's really involved in his faith, really involved in ministry and I've always been. So it's not... Um, it's not crazy. The The more crazy thing was him becoming Catholic, but then the him diving into the Catholicism is not as... Do you have brothers and sisters? I have two older brothers. Yeah. My oldest brother is a physical therapist and he's uh, he's in College Station. He went to Texas A&M, got his physical therapy degree after, then came back to College Station. He has four kids. Um, so yeah, I have a beautiful niece and three awesome nephews. And then um, my other brother... Uh-huh is uh in minnesota actually uh he's he works for milwaukee power tools he's markets power tools for them and helps deal with their accounts and account manager for um for their different uh products and so he's up there he's he's actually went he went to the school in minnesota where my parents met my mom's from minnesota okay and when my dad was getting a master's there my mom was an undergrad they met um in minnesota my dad grew up in fort worth moved up to wisconsin uh, played football there, and then after got was coaching and getting a master's degree in Minnesota, and then met my mom. And then they decided to move back yeah, to Texas. So then my dad he uh, he kept coaching and he got a master's, then he got a PhD in like kind of a kinesiology, and then okay, uh, he was in health, and it was kind of a new thing that these big corporations were getting. Um, kind of health directors and, okay. and teaching their employees how to live healthily and mm. it would help with their insurance and the like. And so they actually brought my dad in who had worked at like a little bit of the Mayo Clinic and they brought my dad in. And so he moved uh-huh. down to Lake Jackson where um, Dow Chemical is um, and where they have a lot of their employees. And so uh, that's what brought him to... Um, Are they still Texas. there? Yep. They're still living in Lake Jackson. Um, so... So that's so that's grandma and grandpa's house. Exactly. That's exactly. They, yeah. For now. So we'll see. We'll <laughs> so see. have you? How often do you get to go back to Lake Jackson? Um, yeah, definitely more when I'm um, home in the summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably get back um, once every other week. You know, on my day off, I often go see them. They might come up to Houston, or I might go down there and see them. Uh, but yeah, throughout the year, when I'm in Rome. It's uh, obviously very rare. Uh-huh. Um, the first two years when you go over to Rome, you can't, they, they ask you not to go home. So for two full years, you never return. Wow. Why is that? You know, it's, I think the idea is that um, 
they want you to get used to being away from home because there's kind of like a roller coaster you go through when you go to Rome. You go and you're on this huge high. Yeah. Really excited. I can't believe I'm in Rome doing all these things, seeing all these people. (laughs) I mean, just speaking Italian. It's great, great, great. And then you hit about right about Thanksgiving starts to come and then it starts settling. Okay, this is... Not home. I'm not going home anytime soon. Thanksgiving's coming. I'm in a foreign country for Thanksgiving. Mm. Christmas comes. And so by the time you get to your first summer, you've the hunt. I say the honeymoon phase is worn off. You know, you're not really like, you're kind of like, okay, I've seen a lot in Rome. I I would love to be home. Yeah. And so when staying that summer kind of gives you the opportunity to kind of work through even when it's not that exciting to be in Rome. Okay. To, the day-to-day uh, thing. Exactly. And just learn how to be okay with living away from home. And so then once you've done two years, I guess they've found that you kind of feel settled enough that where you can go home and you won't just stay. So they they had mm. some experience, I think, with guys who went home in that first summer and was like, okay, I did the Rome thing. I'm just going to ask to study. I don't it. want anymore. Yeah, That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll just study here in the States. Um, and so they're trying to to avoid that. And so... And they also wanted you to take advantage of the opportunity to just be abroad for a summer and do a mission trip or whatever. So, okay. Yeah. So, so when you were, do you, when you get back to Lake Jackson, do your parents like really brag about you? Oh, this is our son. He's going to become a priest. <laughs> yeah. And- um, yeah. I mean, my parents definitely are really proud and they're, they're excited, but you know, it's, it's, it's amazing growing up and being baptized at the parish down there. Everyone knows me, knows my parents, so they know everything. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to to go down there and everyone's so excited. Is the priest that, that baptized you, is he, he still alive? He is. Yeah. He just retired about two years ago. Um, but yeah, he, it, he has a unique circumstance. He was in Lake Jackson for over 30 years at wow. that parish. So wow. he, he baptized me. He was there for my confirmation. You know, he, he walked through my whole life. Most of my seminary time, he was still the pastor there. So, um, that's awesome. Yeah. It's been, to, it's really cool to be a priest there and to see somebody go through that. Are you, are you, the only one that has become a priest or entered religious life? Are, are there others? There's, there's some others. We have, uh, I, it's been a while. So I think the last priest uh, that was ordained from our parish was 2001. So, okay. So we're, I mean, it'll be, it'll be 20 years before uh, when I'm ordained a priest uh-huh. since the last one that had been ordained. We have another guy who uh, him and I uh, kind of providentially entered at the same, same time. And neither of us knew about each other's discernment. He's a lot older um, and he, he was with the diocese, but now he's studying to be a Carmelite. So he's, he's, uh, oh. yeah, he's, uh, in a monastery studying to be a Carmelite. So him and I are the two vocations we have right now. Okay. So that's a very different path, huh? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So how do you decide on that? At what point do you decide? Yeah. I mean, the whole, the, the whole seminary process is a discernment. So at any, any stage, um, him, he was, he was in for, um, about five going on his sixth year when um, he just felt like the Lord was really leading him into the spirituality of um, St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. And he, he just felt a desire to be more contemplative in his life and spend more time in prayer. Okay. Um, And, and he just felt in a a prayer experience that the Lord may be calling him to go to the Carmelites. So he, right book, Basically, right before he was ordained a deacon, so pretty close to where I am now, he okay. said, I'm going to go and be a Carmelite. Um, and so he discerned out of the diocesan priesthood and went and uh, discerned with the Carmelites and is still there and is now Brother John Teresa of Jesus is nice. his new name. So, so how about you? Yeah. What, how did you decide, uh, you know, your path? 
Great. Yeah. Um, so my, I have an interesting story in the sense that when I was like five years old, I was giving like homilies and sermons in the shower to myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I would just be preaching and preaching and just felt like the, the walls, I guess, needed to hear something that I needed to say. And, uh-huh. Uh, you know, my mom would knock on the door like, when are you getting out of there? I was like, I'm wrapping it up, mom. Don't worry. It's coming. It's, <laughs> I'll finish it up soon. And, uh, and so I just, I always had these like sermons or these ideas of preaching to people. But I went to a Protestant school up until high school and my dad was Protestant. So there was, there was never a sense that like, if I was going to preach or do that, I needed to be a priest. It was always okay. just like, maybe I could be a missionary or, mm-hmm. you know, that never really drew me to the idea of being a priest. But I did always love the idea of preaching. Uh-huh. And uh and when I was a freshman in high school, I kind of had the first experience of the call, you might say, to uh discern this more further. I went to a Steubenville conference on the bayou in Louisiana. It's a high school retreat okay. uh, where a lot of them come, gather for a weekend conference, a lot of good speakers. Father Mike Schmitz does a lot of them. And so I went there and at the end they do kind of what they call a vocations altar call. Okay. And uh, they ask like anyone who's, who's thinking about being a priest or mm. open to the idea of being a priest, please come forward. We want to pray over you, give you a blessing. And when they said that I had this just burning sensation on my heart and this, this, this feeling that I needed to go forward, this calling from the Holy spirit to go forward. And I did, and just had a lot of peace with the idea of being a priest and, And then a few months later, I didn't give it much thought after the conference, but a few months later, I went on a mission trip down to the Valley of Texas, where our parish, we put on a vocation Bible school for a parish that didn't have one yet. And we were kind of teaching them how to run a vacation Bible school. We also, in the afternoons, would work on homes. So that whole week was just dedicated to working working for the church, working for different things. And, And I remember thinking like, wow this would be really cool. Like my whole life was dedicated Uh to working for God. And that's what a priest does. That would be awesome. And so I remember I was talking to one of my friends and I asked her, I was like, do you think uh, I'd be a good priest? And she's like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Why'd she say that? She's like, you'd be such a good dad. I think you'd just be a dad. Um, And so I was like, oh, okay. Sounds good to me. Uh, And so I didn't think about it much more. And do you think she probably liked you? I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, thinking back to it, (laughs) if like at the time I probably should have asked her on a date at that moment, you know, that would have been a good transition. Because guys are dense. We don't get it sometimes. I know, I know. know. She was trying to hit me with a two by four and I was like not getting the message. Uh, Was she grabbing your arm at the time? Yeah. yeah, You'd be great priest, you know, like flipping her hair. Uh, You'd be a great dad father of my children uh but um so no and so yeah i just i never really thought about it much but i went back on the studentville conference before my senior uh-huh. year of high school had that same experience of wanting to be a priest when they asked if you're considerate and um and that's even a funny funny story too because uh and it, it kind of it kind of highlights my own struggle with discernment that um i uh right before i went in to be, uh, to go to this like last Sunday conference. And, you know, everyone that's been on a studentville conference knows that they're going to do this. Um, so I kind of knew that they might, um, do this, but anyways, this girl came up to me and gave me this bracelet and she's like, Hey, I just want to give this to you. Da, da, da. Like, good to see you. Da, da. And kind of was talking to me. He's like, Oh, it's random. And then I looked on the inside. It was like her number and it said, call me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like, oh no. Uh, and I remember when I was walking up, like thinking about being a priest, I was like, she's probably like, what? I just gave that guy my number. He's going to be a priest. Can't believe it. So I was like, I hope she doesn't see me. Like in case like, it would work out, I could date her. I don't want her to think like I'm going to be a priest. Uh, Do you think you crushed her? <laughs> I pushed him into the priesthood. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like to think. I doubt that was the case, but I like to think she was just really, really distraught about it. Uh, and so then I go into senior year thinking about being probably going to Texas A&M or somewhere uh-huh. to be an engineer. Okay. Um, you know, and actually it's kind of interesting being able to speak in front of a microphone like this because my biggest passion, and I, I got kind of talked out of it by senior year, was to be a sports announcer. I always wanted to be a sports analyst. Really? Even through 11th grade, like I went to Texas A&M, looked at their communications department. And uh, I think I remember just being like almost affirmed in it because they were like, yeah, 80% are women. I was like, that's a great ratio for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, but it was, yeah, I wanted it. But then everyone just kind of talked me out of it. Like, you'll never make it, you know, you can't do it. So unfortunately I didn't, but so I'm kind of living my dream right now. Thank you. Uh, but uh, anyway, so, so seeing, if you didn't get into the priesthood, you probably would have pursued that. I, I hope I would have, you know, I think my friends had kind of talked me out of it. Like, dude, you're, you can't like, it's not, it's not a good job. Like you never know how, if you can make it. But I, I think I would have been disappointed as an engineer and I might've tried to pursue being a sports announcer, to be honest. I, I could see you on on TV as a sports really? announcer. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That'd be a lot of fun. I just, I used to watch sports all day, every day. My parents would tell you. So, um, you're a big, uh, Houston sports fan. Oh yeah. Huge, huge rockets, Astros, Texans fan. So I, you and father dad get a yeah, lot to we, talk about. We do. <laughs> we talk about it every day. You know, we talk about it every day. I, when I was a kid, I would, I would put every TV on in the house. We had like TVs in different rooms. Okay. And my parent, I would love when my parents leave because I could turn all the TVs on the game and then I could just pace so that my stress wouldn't be as strong <laughs> during the game. I just pace throughout the house and just kind of talking about what we needed to do. And this is, we can't do, we got to do this, 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 this. And so I, I, and I knew like I was so, um, I was so committed to teams that I, I wanted to be like the voice of the Rockets. That was my goal. So I could be biased. I didn't have to worry about being non-biased. <laughs> I could cheer for my team and also be an announcer. So, uh, but anyways, uh, back to the, the, the story that uh-huh. you asked me about. I, when I was, uh, so when I was a senior, I was kind of going through that and um, like discernment about where, where I should go to college, being an engineer. And, kind of around December, January-ish. So right in the middle of the semesters, in between semesters, I was, I was feeling a lot of unrest, a lot of just stress about, um, two things. One, I was like, I wasn't really sure. Like, am I, I, why am I wanting to go to like A&M? Like, I didn't know if I was going to get accepted. And there was a lot of Mm. just questions around that. And then number two, as always with high schoolers, like there was this girl that I liked. She didn't Uh, like me, you you know. I was about to ask about girls. Yeah. So I was like, I was in that friend zone hard and it was just like, couldn't get out. And so I was like, gosh, I just can't believe this. Um, And so I I had a really graced moment though, where I, I realized that I am... A committed Catholic, people see me as a Christian. Uh-huh. And if that's the case, that like Jesus has to be my best friend. And it really was that simple for me. It was just Jesus has to be my best friend. And my best I, and the best friend I have in high school, I talk to him every day. And I don't talk to Jesus every day. And so I decided to go to the adoration chapel every day for five to twenty minutes. And um 
And in that, I kind of was able to pour out my heart to Jesus and just uh-huh. be like, I don't know why I want to go to AM. I don't know why I want to be an engineer. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Um, and in through that, my the voice of my parents came back to me that no matter what I told them I was planning to do from uh-huh. very young, you know, if it was a lawyer, if it was a um, sports announcer, an engineer, my dad, my mom would always say, that's great. Just as long as it's what God wants you to do. They'd always tell me, just do what God wants you to do. Um, and so uh, I, I just realized that and I was like, you know what? That's right. Like if God created me, he created me with a plan and I need mm-hmm. to ask him what he wants me to do. And so I, I said like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then it was amazing. The, the ceiling opened and I started to rise and the Lord said, I want you to be a priest. No, I'm just kidding. None of that happened. <laughs> That's what I was hoping would happen, but like no. this light came through. <laughs> yeah. I was floating. It was the insane. stained glass window, and it was shining on me. And <laughs> exactly, <laughs> no, not at all. That was not it at all. Um, I just kept. I, I mean, I didn't get an answer directly, but I just kept asking, kept asking, and uh-huh. finally, I, I was reminded of these moments where I felt called to be a priest, and realized like I never really discerned that. I never prayed about that. I never asked Jesus if that's what He was calling me to do, and. Um, and so I, I, I finally, I finally did. And I felt peace about it. So I talked to my pastor. He led me to father Dat, who was the vocations director. Okay. And father Dat was asking me like, uh, some questions. And then he was like, he put the hard set sell on me. You know? Oh really? Yeah. He put the hard sell on me. He's like, you know what? You have two weeks in two weeks. You need to like apply or else you're going to miss the opportunity to apply this year. Cause I'm a senior in high school. Okay. And so basically he's telling me, you have to decide if you're going to go to the seminary in two weeks. So I was like, Oh my goodness, this is a lot of pressure. So I, um, and he's like, I don't, you know, I don't know what you think, but I think you're called to be a priest. Um, and that was really helpful for me. And I was like, okay, I think it, man, if he can see it, maybe it's true. And so I went and visited the seminary in, in Dallas and I, I hung out with the guys and just saw how cool they were. And so I, I decided to apply and father dad accepted me. Um, and I went to seminary. Um, and that's really like half the journey. So if you can you think if you didn't have that two week period, if it was longer, would you have, is it better that you had that short amount of time? I think for sure. For me, it was, it was exactly what I needed. Had I come to father dad in the fall and it was like, yeah, let's discern this over time. You would have found an excuse or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and so, uh, it was, it was really helpful to have that kind of that short, intense time of prayer where I felt like it and I had the grace to just respond and, and go. And so it was, it was awesome. And that's, do you, do you think that's why God put you in the friend zone with that girl? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was probably, probably that. And it, you know, it, but it didn't stop though. You know, I, when you go to seminary, it's just, when you go to seminary, it's a whole new, a whole new step in discernment. I, I'm a first two years were so difficult for me. Really? Why is that? I mean, you just, so you kind of, I was riding a high of like the Lord called me to be priest. Like, Oh, I just want to do anything you want me to do. Jesus. I'm excited. Like it's going to uh-huh. be awesome. And then the day before I entered, I went to a wedding of a friend and I remember being at the wedding and just being like, I don't know what my role here is. What am I supposed to do? You know, everyone's dancing. Can I dance with girls? I don't Mm. think so. Like I've always wanted to have a wedding like this, a wedding reception. Were you imagining yourself as the groom? Yeah, exactly. And just being like, this is, this has been taken away from me. Uh If I pursue this, I'll never have this. 
And I remember just like almost, I was crying at the end of the night, just so like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I went to seminary and then you just kind of had to like, every day was a, was almost a grind in some ways of like, I'm never going to go on a date again in my life. Like I'm never, if, if I pursue this, I can't believe this. How do you get over that? Um, how do you work with it? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it was just, I had to continue to bring it to prayer um, okay. and continue to talk to Jesus about it. And I was just, had some really good spiritual direction just to be really honest with Jesus and just tell him how difficult this is. Uh-huh. The biggest piece of advice that someone gave me though, um, and it was take seminary one day at a time. And so that's what I did. And I, I had entered and I knew myself, I said, you have to take a year, take a whole year uh-huh. and then decide after a year where you're at. And so I knew I had that and I knew if I could just take one day at a time and if, you know, I, okay, today, maybe, maybe thinking about being celibate my whole life is difficult, but mm-hmm. I can be celibate today, you know, and I can live it today okay. and I can live it tomorrow. And so once you kind of accumulate a long time and you kind of go through this, these difficult trying moments or even being contacted once, um, and I found out that this girl that I liked, she started liking me when oh, I was in no. seminary. You know, oh, no. I know. I was about to ask you that. D- did you notice that after you decided that you wanted to take this path towards priesthood, that all the girls are starting to come out of the woodwork? And- oh, I know. I have a great story about that. I, 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 it was. It was like, where were you two years ago? I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be discerning this. <laughs> We'd be dating if you had like come out and talked to me. But there was this girl once that she told me, she's like, "Oh my goodness, you want to be a priest?" She's like, "This is great." People have told me I should be a priest. We should get married and then we can both be priests <laughs> together. She was Anglican. She was Episcopal. So like they could be priests. And, and I was like, no, you don't understand. Like we, you know, that, that won't work. But yeah, there was, there was all these girls that were just uh, approaching me. And it's, um, yeah. So it, it what is, do you tell them? Um, you know, I just said, I know it's, it's just what the, I feel like that's the Lord's calling me. We'll see what happens. Um you know, I, with some of them that I knew well, I would joke with them. I was like, what, why, where was this last year? Why are you talking to me now? You know? Are uh, any of those that girl that friend zoned you back in high school? We never had a direct conversation, but she told my one of my other best friends about like, maybe we should have been married. Because we, we were always just, friend, we have been friends since kindergarten. So okay. it was kind of always like, maybe, you know, were we more than friends or not? And uh, anyways, um but yeah, you just kind of have to work through that. I mean, there was there was times in seminary where I just, you know, you fall in love with a girl that you meet and you're like, oh my goodness, like I could marry this girl. Um, but again, like it was just, you had to, I had to bring it to prayer. I had to say, Jesus, I feel like I could marry this girl. I would love to have a wife the rest of my life. Uh-huh. But I think you're calling me to this and this is difficult. Like, where do you want me? And and again, I just, I just had peace. Um, when I really laid it all out there, I had more peace with pursuing the priesthood than I did with that kind of um, emotional high I was having um, for my attraction for a girl or something. Um, and so you just, you know, I was just continually bringing it to Jesus and and recognizing that, like, if I followed this invitation to sacrifice marriage for him, that he would um, he would give me the grace to to be faithful to it. And and to find uh, joy in it, so it must be really tough being in Rome with all the uh, the Italian yeah, women, yeah, yeah, walking around very exotic. You know, it's you're true. in a European country, I know, and uh, I know, and I, I would assume that they're very fashionable as well. That's and true. And yeah. what was the closest you ever got to 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 hanging it up and saying, "Okay, I'm... oh, oh, um, 
the close. I mean, the year one, I was really close. I would at the end, spring semester. I called my dad and I said, I think I got to get out of here. Um, I, I just need to, I need to go and like, just go to college and date more. And, you know, I had dated in high school, but just, I wanted to, I just wasn't sure it was just so hard with the celibacy. So I, I, I was on that phone call and had my dad said, well, okay, well, yeah, maybe take a year and discern. Uh-huh. I think I would have, but my dad was like, you know, um, why don't you keep praying about it? Um, uh, and, and the girl that I was, I liked the time, you know, she, he was like, I don't know if it'll work with her. She's not, she's Protestant. You're, you're Catholic. You know, it won't, I mean, it's just, y'all are so committed to y'all's individual faiths that, mm. um, it may not be a good, uh, relationship long-term. And, and so maybe really think about it. And so he kind of really, did, um, encouraged me to continue discerning, continue to praying about it. And, um, and that was like probably the biggest moment. So year one, I think was probably the closest I was. Would it have been um, easier if you were here in Houston? How, um, is is this girl from Houston or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it would have been, um, it might have been. Maybe maybe had we been spending more, uh, it, it might have been easier to leave. I mean, at this time, so this time, my first year in seminary, I was in Dallas. I was in Dallas for the first four okay. years. So I was, was in the States, but um, yeah, maybe. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't just her. I mean, I was meeting girls on, you know, I, I was at a regular university, so you're meeting girls on campus. And, mm-hmm. and even just like the weird things of trying to figure out, you know, how do I talk to a girl? You uh-huh. know, before, like, I, w- I didn't care if I was like trying to flirt with her, <laughs> trying to get her to like uh-huh, me. You uh-huh. know, that was just part of my, like, what I did. And now it's like, I can't. Like, I, I'm not- yeah, how does that conversation go? When do you slip in that you're, you're on the path towards priesthood. Yeah, I know you have to. Do you say it right away? Hi, I'm going to be a priest. Yeah, yeah. Or do you kind of just kind of find a place to kind of slip it into the conversation? I know, you had to get better at it. You know, it's 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 the problem of like concupiscence and sin. There's there's even times where you feel, and we talk to other guys and, and I'll just admit it, that there's times when it's almost hard. You're talking to this girl, she's good looking and you're having some chemistry, you're, yeah. you're laughing, having a good time. She's like, so what are you, what are you studying? And you're like, um, philosophy. She's like, Oh, why are you studying philosophy? Oh, I mean, I just kind of like it. You know, you're like trying to avoid any, like, <laughs> I want to keep my options open. You know, maybe if I leave, I don't want her to think I'm in the seminary, but you know, I, usually it, it tends to come out, you know, pretty, pretty early. And, uh, no, you just have to say, yeah, I'm studying to be a Catholic priest. And uh-huh. then it's kind of like, um, what do they, how do they react to that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the whole like gamut. I mean, you just, you get all types of different reactions. Some are like, what? Really? Um, and some are like, um, like, oh, wow, that's really cool. You know, you just, it just, sometimes you get weird reactions. Sometimes they're like, but doesn't that mean you can't get married? And, uh, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, I, I can. I, Do you have any, so, uh, any girls that, that, that see it as a challenge and think, oh, maybe I can keep him from becoming a priest yeah, or something? We, yeah. We call them chalice chippers. That's what they're called. That's what you guys call them. They call them chalice chippers. Yeah, <laughs> that's a term that the that's, seminarians that's use. Term in the seminary. That's chalice the first chippers. time I've heard that. Oh, really? Chalice, chalice chippers. Chip. Yeah, they're chipping our chalice. Um, yeah, no, I mean there are. I mean whether whether they admit it or not, there are there are girls that all of a sudden you kind of feel like um, are really like trying. Maybe I can get a seminary, and, and I don't blame them. There's there's a, it's hard to find good men out there sometimes for them and. And we're on campus and we're, you know, it's, and there's, there's always a mystery to us. It's like, wow, why is he, he's willing to like 
give up all this. And so they're faithful, you know, they may not even realize, but it's just, but yeah, there's, there's definitely girls that you just kind of, it almost seems like it tricked, like they're like, maybe, oh, what, maybe I can get uh, Come on, let's admit it. You're a good looking guy. <laughs> okay. You're charismatic. You yeah. smile a lot. You're yeah. happy. People like to be around you. Yeah. So I could see why a, a girl might want to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. To, to get with you and, yeah. and like, you know, spend more time with you and, and say, oh, let's forget about you being a priest. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have to be careful. You have to be really careful uh, in situations where you just have to have your own little boundaries and, and just, uh, and be really mindful of your own emotions and how you're doing and how she's making you feel. And it's like, okay, yeah, I really do want to try to make her laugh. And, you know, you got all uh -huh. these things that you got to be careful about and, and just, um, and be honest with yourself. And then, you know, you just got to find, you can't, you can't go like, if she's like, Hey, why don't you come over and watch a movie? He's like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. You mm -hmm. know, it's just little things you got to be, you got to have boundaries, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's not really a handbook on how to talk to girls as a seminarian. It's, they don't uh, have a class for you on that. Yeah, or, they, um, they probably should, but uh, it's probably different for all guys. You know, guys, guys are at different levels of how they, mm -hmm. how they have interacted with girls before they entered seminary. And so it's just, you, it's kind of your own personal journey and you have to kind of get used to it and work on it. Do you so, talk with the other seminarians about it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, we have our own little support group. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> keep each other accountable, ask them what they do, what's okay. What's not okay. So you it's know? a different type of wingman. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's, exactly. <laughs> have you heard how bad he is at this? You know, instead of, <laughs> instead of saying positive qualities, they just throw in the bad qualities. So you're getting here. introduced to a girl and he just walks up. He's studying to become a priest. Yeah, exactly. He's taken. He can't. Yeah, no, no. yeah. Hands off. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so at what point in your childhood did you actually think the first thought of becoming a priest? Was it that five-year-old in the shower type thing? Yeah. I, you Are know, there any videos of that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not I the to, shower type yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like preaching? Uh, that's a great question. I'll have to ask my mom. She's been, um, ask her if she has any pictures of me uh, preaching or uh, doing, uh, doing things that are priestly. But I actually never really thought, like it never occurred to me. It was, it was so strange. I just, when I was doing that, I just never thought like, maybe I should be a priest. It wasn't until I went on that conference freshman year, uh -huh. freshman year of um, of high school that I so was. So there was really no idea until that conference that you told. Yeah, until that conference. And I had been an altar server as well. So I was around the church a lot. And I was, you know, one would think that it would happen, but it was, it was actually a really cool way in which the Lord had worked it because the call came later and then I was able to look back and say, oh, wow, the Lord had prepared me and this would make sense. So It makes it, sense that all of these things had happened. Exactly. That exactly. you were friend zoned, that you went to this, yeah, to the conference exactly, and then all of that. Exactly. So uh, Isn't that funny how that works out? I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, so, so talk to me about how you actually first did go into so you had that first two weeks with father dad once you once you said to him okay i'm doing this what happens next yeah it's a long process so um then you have to write an autobiography about your life um and so uh you kind of you 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 write out everything you know how you grew in your faith what do you know like these types of things um 
And uh, I thought it would be hard. And then maybe I was a little too full of myself. I had like 12 pages by the end of it. <laughs> and uh, and so then you submit that. And uh, then you have like a formal interview. Father Dad had a, and I had a formal interview. Um, and mine was on Good Friday. I don't know. <laughs> thinking about that, like there was kind oh, of really? some symbolic about. Wow. <laughs> my, my interview with him was on Good Friday. And, um, and so we had this formal interview, you know, he kind of asked you questions more trying to find out about you. And then, so, um, and after that we have, you have a psychological evaluation, a very long psychological, you're answering like a thousand questions, true, false, fill in the blank. It takes about two, maybe three and a half hours just to get through it. Yeah. And then, um, and then you have a one-on-one with a psychologist and she asks you questions. She goes through all these, these things. And then that's submitted to father dad. What type of questions do you remember any of them? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty crazy. You know, it's kind of funny, like the, the true false that those are the, I mean, you get so tired, but by the end of it, you're kind of, it's, it's even, uh, you, you kind of feel like they're, they're trying to incriminate you no matter what you say. Like, um, have you thought of, have you told people about your thoughts to kill somebody? And you're like, uh, I don't, is it's like true false. <laughs> I have told people about that. And I was like, I, I don't, I haven't thought about that. And I haven't told anybody, I don't know how to answer this, you know? Uh, but it's all part, I mean, it's psychology is a science, but, uh-huh. um, and then they, you know, they, they ask you random questions, like draw, draw a picture of a house with a family and then tell me the story or, and then sometimes they, they, they showed me like these, these pictures of these different scenes and you had to describe what was going on. And I was really nervous. Mm. I didn't want to like, someone to her to think I'm this mass murderer. And so, but some of these pictures were like, it's hard to describe without seeing that. And I remember there was this one where this person was laying on a table. Another person had like what looked like a knife over them. And she's like, what's going on here? And I was like, um, I, yeah, surgery, real primitive <laughs> surgery, you know, and yeah, it just looks like that, you know. Do you just, think they're trying to see how dark your mind can go? <laughs> Is that what they're trying to? I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, I might have, I might have done uh, myself a disservice by that. They might have been like, does he even see that this could be a bad situation? And I'm like making two. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Somehow I passed. <laughs> or Father Dat was like, well, we'll see how it works out with this guy, uh, and then. Uh, and then you have this panel interview is the last thing. So okay. they, they compile all that information. Who's on the panel? Uh, Father Dat's on the panel at the time was the associate uh, vocations director. And she was, Sister Anita was on the panel. The, there was a, not the psychologist that gave me the test, but another psychologist that was reading my results. Father TJ had been on that. Uh, so a couple other priests from the diocese that had worked with vocations. And okay. So there's about eight people in the room. And then it's just kind of like, you sit down and then they just start asking you a bunch of questions and you just have to answer them. And, uh, do they pull up the, that true or false question and say, <laughs> they said here, yeah. according to number 23, yeah, you, I know they, they do. Did give they do you, that? They give you some hard questions. They didn't really, they didn't go so much in detail, but they might've said in your psychological evaluation, it said this, like, talk to us about that. that. What was the most difficult question to answer? <sighs> That's a good question. I, I probably escaped pretty, pretty lightly. I guess I just had, um, the the sister, she asked me some tough questions. And I remember her being like, she's like, well, you've grown up with your family and mm-hmm. you've been, uh, you seems to be pretty dependent on your family a lot. Like how, how do you, how can you tell me that you're ready to be on your own? And I was like, I mean, I'm 18. I don't know if like, of course I've only been, uh, I mean, I remember that just being like really startling. And like, it felt like I was in trouble because I had only like relied on my parents at that point. But 
Um, that's the only one that comes to mind. But a lot of that is like so, it was so traumatic. It's kind of blocked out of my memory of what happened, you know? So You have to be hypnotized to yeah, come back. Yeah, exactly, and, exactly. Do you wake up in a cold sweat every once in a while thinking yeah. about that sister asking you <laughs> yeah, those exactly, questions? <laughs> exactly. So you, you go through the panel. And then after that panel, what happens? So after the panel, for me, um, I don't know if they still do it this way. Uh, they kind of took about 10 to 15 minutes. And they it's basically that where they vote. They have a vote where I'm not present for. So I step out of the room, they vote. And then Father Dak came out and told me the result of their vote. Um, and he said, we voted to allow you to enter the seminary and we want you to go to Dallas and we'll make a recommendation to the Cardinal. Um, and if he puts a seal of approval on our vote, then you'll be officially accepted as a seminarian. And so then they, they compile the report, send it to Cardinal Leonardo, and then he, he, he wrote a letter officially accepting me, and then I was sent to the University of Dallas. And this was about June that I found out. So it was kind of weird because I graduated not knowing where I was going to be in the fall. I hadn't been accepted to seminary, and I didn't know what was going to happen. Oh, wow. So on my graduation, I had no idea where I was going to be. So, you know, on graduation, you kind of put a different college on your hat. Yeah. And so I put Harvard on mine, which was a complete <laughs> lie. I mean, I graduated like 72 people back. It was like, no way this guy's going to Harvard. But, you know, it was funny. So did um, did anybody enter, I mean, at the same time as you and go with you to Dallas? Yeah. So there's, there's eight of us that year from this okay. area that entered. And uh, four of us went to uh, Dallas. Okay. And then the other four? Went to Louisiana in Covington. There's another uh, seminary in St. Joseph's, which is run by Benedictine monks, and but it's for a diocesan. Okay. So, like, let's. how many people do you know of any, you know, how many people actually went to that panel interview and didn't make it to the... Mm, that's Ask a good that. question. I, you know, you'd have to ask Father Dad. That would be a better question, for Father Dad. I don't know. I, I think, I think if they probably had, you know, if we had, I bet it was something like maybe ten people went to the panel and eight of us made it or something like that. Okay. But it, the 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 process is long with a lot of things, so that at at some point, like, you know, if my psychological evaluation had come back really really bad, they probably would have not taking me to the panel and said, Hey, you got to work some things out. Yeah. Or if it was an interview with father dad or the autobiography. Revealed so there are something. lots of other spots where you could. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Where so, they would have weeded people out. Yeah. So, um, I think the people that the vocation director decides to send to the panel, he's pretty confident they're going to make it. Okay. Um, and then, so when you go to Dallas, it's just like a regular university life. Yeah, Is that what it's um, like? No, you, you live at the seminary. Um, and I go to the University of Dallas, a small Catholic school, but anyone can go to that school. So that's uh -huh. where I take classes. But I live at the seminary. So, you know, we have we have a structured day. You wake up in the morning, do morning prayer, you have mass, uh, you eat your meals at the seminary with those guys, you live with those guys. Okay. You, you, they have like their own formation, teaching you how to pray, the like stuff. So. Okay. So it's not like you're a regular college student and you just... No. check in with them every once in a while. Which was kind of hard too. I remember telling my uh, some of my friends that it was hard because you kind of, college was always something you, I looked forward to, like having more freedom. You know, I didn't have parents around to tell me what to do. Was it tough to not being able to go to those crazy parties that you hear about yeah, when you're yeah. in college? I know it was, it was like, I mean, my buddies would always say like, oh, <clears throat> last night I was out at 2 a.m. We were hanging out, having a good time. You know, I we had curfew. We couldn't do that. So mm -hmm. freedom was way more limited, which was kind of tough. So. Okay, so how long were you there in Dallas? 
four just years. That four years. Got a bachelor's degree in philosophy. Okay, so on top of that four years, then... Then I've done three years in Rome. Okay, so so on your fourth year, they told you, okay, it looks like you're going to go to Rome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at this point, you, you'd been out of your... You're out of your parents' house for a while now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Do you think it would have been a, a little more difficult for your parents to um, accept that you were going to join the priesthood if you were not the third son, if you were the only son? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think I find that with most guys who are their only child, it's really hard on the parents. You know, I was in a great position because I was the youngest my brother was already married with two kids. So my parents already had grandchildren. There's no worries of that. The uh-huh. name is already passing on. Yes. Not that white has a much of a legacy to live. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a basic name, but um, yeah. Uh, so there was, there was no worries about a lot of those things. That's difficult for parents. Like uh-huh. oh, I wanted grandchildren or oh, I want, I want our name to pass on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, for, for the only child or the only boy, sometimes it is difficult for the parents. But yeah, I was at a point where it was, I think my parents were at a point where or, were e- like easily accepting of that. And they, they, they kind of saw it. I mean, they, they didn't tell me about it, but once I told them, they both, they both my parents were like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Do you think it would have been more difficult for you had you had been the only son? <clears throat> Thinking there's some pressure to to pass on the family name yeah, to I give think your so. parents grandkids? I think, so. I think it would have been. Um, it certainly would have been really hard if my parents weren't supportive. So if that, if I, if I could sense that it was difficult for them, it'd be very, very hard for me. Um, some guys do it and it's tough for them, but my parents were very, very supportive, very encouraging, accepting if I wanted to leave, accepting if I wanted to stay and just really supportive. So I was blessed. Do you have a lot of friends in the seminary that have difficulty like that? Some, um, yeah, I would say probably the majority of parents are generally supportive, um, you know, and, and by the time where I am, so I've been in for seven years, um, that by this time, usually parents have kind of come around at least um, uh-huh. and are more supportive. So it's probably a higher percentage of parents that have a difficulty right at the beginning, but once you're kind of in and they kind of see their son, um, kind of transforming and really, uh-huh they probably experience a little bit more joy in their son, a little bit more fulfillment and can see like, wow, this is something that's good for him, that it helps them. My parents were supportive all the way along, but there are some parents that I know that it's like, they just, yeah, it's really hard for me to talk to my mom about the seminary or sometimes I'll go out to dinner with my friends in the seminary and they'll warn me like, Hey, my parents are not really that excited. I'm in the seminary. So really? yeah. So it's kind of like, don't try not to, let's not talk too much about the seminary, about that stuff, you know? So we kind of, you know, sometimes that topic can feel a little bit off limits. It's a little touchy when it comes to the parents. Okay. Yeah. So this group of guys in Dallas, so you all graduated together. Where are they now? Uh, Yeah, a little bit spread out all over. So about 20 of us that graduated. Uh, Some of them came to Houston to study here at St. Mary's Seminary in Houston. Okay. I know one guy went to Indiana to study in Mundelein. I know couple myself and a couple others we went to Rome another guy went to Chicago um, to study uh, we had some that went to Louisiana Notre Dame and uh, New Orleans um, and so yeah it's just kind of they once once you graduate there you kind of spread out even even some in uh, the state of Washington are there too as well so um, who makes the decision where they go 
So you're bishop of your sponsoring diocese. So okay. every seminarian has a sponsoring diocese. Mm-hmm. So like I'm sponsored by the Galveston Houston diocese. So Cardinal Leonardo decided for me, but every bishop has their own decision on where they go after that to study the okay. second half of seminary. So speaking of your sponsoring diocese, is it the diocese that paid for your education? <clears throat> do, you, do your parents chip in with that? How yeah. does that work financially? For, here in Houston, it's yeah the diocese. Uh, the easy way to explain it is the diocese uh, pays for it. If you if you um, discern out there, they they it's a non-interest loan. They kind of ask you to slowly pay back for the cu- first couple of years where you got general credits. Okay, but um, but for the most part, the diocese pays for all of it, so it's really nice. Um, yeah, and it helps with the guy not feeling pressure of like, um, oh, I'm incurring a lot of debt right now because I'm in seminary. I should get out. Okay, so, so if so. Sp- meaning discern out when you decide you don't want to pursue it. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah, then that's, that's the kind of lingo you discern out of the seminary and, and back. And then you've got this loan that you've got to kind of pay off. Yeah. Okay. Does that happen often? Yeah. I think the statistics are about um, 50 to 60% of the guys that enter just leave the seminary. Okay. And then the guys in Rome. Yeah. How often, how often do they discern out? Are they, <clears throat> it becomes a little bit less, uh, just in general when you get to, so anyone in Rome has like moved, has gone through the first four, two or four years of seminary. Okay. So, and that's generally when most people leave kind of in the early years when, um, so once in Rome, it's a little bit less, it's, it's unique in Rome and that you will have some guys that will just say, you know, it's too hard to live this far away from home. Um, and they'll they'll go back to the United States and continue to be starting to be a priest, but they'll just do it in the United States. Um, but so it becomes even less, you know. Like <clears throat> I'm trying to think, my class was about forty five when I entered in Rome, forty five others, and we're probably I think we're gonna ordain, or about thirty five of us are ordained to to the diaconate. So about ten of them left. Is there is there any point where you can like kind of put it on pause maybe mm-hmm. yeah there's so the, there, there's ways to do that and some guys are doing that there's like um you could say a, a common thing to do is take a pastoral year okay um and that's like a year where you live a year in the parish as an internship now it's a little unique for us here because in houston most guys do just as a general rule take a pastoral year okay um in Rome, for whatever reason, the Cardinal has decided not to have me take a pastoral year. Um, and the guys in Rome don't usually take a pastoral year. And so some guys in Rome might do that, or some guys in other places where they're not required to take a pastoral year will say, can I take a year to live in the parish? Because you know, when you're in the parish, it's a little bit it's a little bit easier to see what your daily life would look like for the rest of your life. Yes. Um, and so it's a year where they can like, let me just do a little bit more intentional discernment away from academics so that I can really see, is this what I want to do with my life? So that's one way you can put uh seminary, like a little bit like a, let me, let me just hold on before I continue mm-hmm. to move forward here. So do you think your time here at St. Faustine is kind of like a, a condensed pastoral year? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's like kind of what they did. So last summer I was at Cyprus, uh, um, Christ the Redeemer. And then this summer, yeah, definitely like a, both those summers, like really compact, condensed stuff and, and so, like, Father Dat will do an evaluation of me and how I did um, as if he had me as a pastoral year student. Um, okay. And do you see it, like, every day thinking, okay, I can get used to this? I, this is something oh, I definitely. see myself. That's, honestly, the summers have always been what's carried me through the seminary. You know, you get lost in academics. You get lost in, in that where you kind of forget why 
for me, I forgot why I was called, what I really loved. But it's when I'm with the people in the parish. And this summer, especially as a deacon, it's just been incredible. Preaching, doing baptism, I mean, just all that um, has been just amazing. So it's it's awesome. So in, in the seminary, okay, let's, let's kind of get behind the curtain a little. What, yeah. what, what kind of... What happens among the seminarians? Because I hear some stories that, oh, it gets a little crazy, you know. Yeah. I mean, you guys being, you know, just just silly, yeah. you know, because I, I went to an all-boys school in high school. Yeah. And, you know, guys just get really silly. Is that the way it is in the seminary? Yeah. Playing pranks and all that? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's especially in the early years. Like a lot of guys, when we entered, you're 18 years old and then you're living yes. together and you're just kind of, so there is a lot of craziness where you're still a little immature. Exactly. And, you know, and um, you got a lot of energy. And so, yeah, there's a lot of pranks, you know, and a lot of different Did things. you prank father, dad while you were in the seminary? No, no, I didn't. Or you just don't want to admit to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll keep that off camera. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> there's I, this guy, I, you yeah, know, he actually. No. Yeah, no, I, I never, I never did. I mean, the one thing with father dad is that he, I was in Dallas, but he lived in Houston a lot. So him and I weren't around too much each okay. other, but no, we, we did have some, some guys pranked a lot. Um, and like so, what kind of, what type of things did they just each other? You prank each other? Mostly, mostly each other. Yeah, we wouldn't really prank the the faculty or the priests in charge of us. It's a little dangerous. Uh <laughs> just kidding. They, they're not spiteful. But um yeah, I mean we would prank each other. So I mean one guy, we thought he looked like this actor, and so we would just put this picture this crazy picture of this actor is William Defoe. He plays the villain in um one of the Spider-Mans and we would just put a crazy picture of William Defoe and like his 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 prayer book, his Bible, all around his room. So anytime he would just pull all these random pictures of him, and like one, of, this is probably the best prank I think we had. Is he he had told us like he was really excited because the Knights of Columbus were going to be really generous, and they told him they were going to send him a check to support him in his okay in his discernment. He was really excited about this, telling us like, "Oh, this is great. What I needed, you know, it was um, you know money's a little tight right now. It's perfect." And so we all knew it was coming. And uh, he had even told like the the secretary of the seminary who knew well that it was coming and like, just let me know if it comes. I, you know, I can't wait. Well, one of my buddies, knowing this, found out the name of the council, its number <laughs> and its address. He put the return address there, put a picture of William Defoe in the letter, <laughs> went up to campus, mailed it. So it was postmarked when it came in. The secretary saw it, called the guy in his room, said, hey, the check is here. Come on and get it. <laughs> And he goes, opens it up, and it's a picture of Will, Will of the Foe. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Does he really look like Will of the Foe? Um, it's, or is it just a slight resemblance? It's a slight resemblance. Uh, and it's like one of those where like um, he's just kind of funny. Uh, like it just kind of does some some different movements. like him. And it's one of those things where we kind of like we could see him. Because William Defoe is a lot older than him, so like yes. when you grow up, that's what you're gonna look. You're gonna like. look like Willem Defoe. Willem Defoe, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So what what surprised you the most about life as a seminarian? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I mean, like I said, maybe it, it's kind of it, it's probably what everyone would think would be the obvious thing. I think living day to day of trying to the wrestle with celibacy was definitely like that was surprising how difficult that could be and how how much um, you needed to wrestle with that. I'd say one of the, one of the more shocking things and one thing you're never really, uh, you're never really warned about in seminary is uh, you get such close bonds. I, I kind of, I kind of like to think that it's like the military. You're all going through this really difficult thing. this really mm. difficult 
um, discernment and you're all doing the exact same thing and living the exact same life that you get really, really close to all the guys. And so that's a good surprise of, uh, making those friends. But the difficult part of that, and something I didn't think about is when guys decide to discern out, it's really, it's actually pretty, it's almost, it's really, it's really painful almost for you yeah, to for see you. somebody discern out. Yeah. You're excited. You're happy. That they're doing what God wants them to do. Usually you're like, this is a good discernment. It's good. Uh-huh. But it's difficult for you. One, um, the enemy likes to use those times to be like, well, if he discerned out, you probably should discern out too. Mm. Um, another, but another thing is like, you just get so close and, um, that you, you know, your friendship is going to be just a little bit different for the rest of your life because you're no longer pursuing the exact same path. And, and there's a sense in which, um, although we're, we can make really good friends with everybody, there's a sense in which some of the things you go through, only another priest is going to know what that's like. And you kind of have a sense of that in seminary. And so you kind of realize that there's going to be a lack in that intimate sharing that might've occurred and that intimate friendship that might've occurred there had he stayed, especially if he was a good close friend. So you guys are like, sort of like brothers in arms, band of brothers type thing. You're going through all of this. You share all of this experience and all of that. And then just seeing one guy go is sort of like... Yeah. Like, like having somebody, you know, kind of just like get injured and, and have to leave exactly. the unit or something like exactly. that. Exactly. That's that. Yeah. I think that's a good analogy to how it feels. It, it, it you know, you, you do get excited for them. Generally, you know, it's a good decision. They're at peace and you're happy for them, but it's just difficult um, for you a little bit. That's a lot of emotions. I mean, yeah. You know, the thinking, what if I you know, discern out as well. Yeah. At the same time, you, f- you feel bad that, oh, we're not going to be able to hang out with this guy yeah. anymore or that type of thing. Were there a lot of them? But- yeah, yeah. I uh, I went through <clears throat> a lot of difficulty with that um, when I was in Dallas. Uh, you know, Father David Michael and I actually, we were, he was my best friend when I entered. Him and I were, I entered, he was the first one I met. He was like a year ahead of me at that time or a few years ahead of me. And him and I got along really, really well in our first year of seminary. And then he moved on to Houston. And so okay. I didn't see him for a few years. So he was with you in Dallas. Yeah, he was with me in Dallas. Okay. And him and I were really good friends there. And then he moved on. And that was a bummer for me. He didn't leave the seminary though, so it wasn't as hard. But then the friends I made after that, all my all every every good friend I had after that, um, either like discerned out basically or left the seminary. And so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty difficult. You have these intimate sharing moments of uh-huh. your struggles and then they leave and then they're, um, that person's gone. And it's like, fun. you're like last man standing. Exactly. Exactly. And so it, it must've been really cool to get back together with father David Michael. Oh, it's been, it's been incredible. Yeah. Him and I, father Dak complains cause we, we, we stay up and we're, we're talking and laughing all the time <laughs> and keeping him up and, no, it's been it's been a huge blessing to be back and and hanging out with him. He's awesome. So tell me about life in Rome. So you, how how often do you get to go out? Is it are you restricted to certain areas? How free are you to go around Rome? Yeah, normally we're pretty free. Uh, we have um, we go to class, and my cl- just to go to class is about a thirty minute walk through Rome for me, just one way. So you know, I'm walking through Rome an hour every day. And, um, but yeah, then often in the afternoons, if you don't have too much homework, you can go out and go see the city, walk around, uh, do a little tourist thing, do a little tourist thing. Exactly. Uh, see the places that people don't get time to see even when you're, um, uh, you know what tourists are coming cause you're there uh, the whole year. So you get to mm-hmm. see a lot of places. Um, and then, you know, and I get 
chance to go all over Europe. You know, I, I get a, once a month, we have a weekend where we can go and, and travel anywhere we want to travel. And, and everything's pretty close together in Europe. So exactly. You can go pretty far. Yeah. Once you're over there, I mean, I've gotten round trips for $50, you know, nice to Paris or something like that. So do you go with some of the other seminarians or? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll go for a weekend. We'll go out and travel and get an Airbnb. And, you know, one of the favorite trips that I do is St. Therese of Lisieux is one of my favorite saints along with like all the other Catholics in the world. But, um, yeah, she, and so I've gone, October 1st is her feast day. And the past three years I've gone to Lisieux and to her Basilica and there for the big celebration of her feast day. And so that's just some of the fun things you get to do when you're in Rome and travel around and stuff. What Are there any places that you haven't checked off on your list yet that um, you plan to go to? Yeah. One place is I want to go to Lithuania where the uh, original Divine Mercy image is. Ooh. Yeah. I've gotten to see St. Faustina in Poland, uh, but I haven't gone to see the original image. And so I'd like to, I'd like to go do that. You got to um, send us a picture when you do that. I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, send it to Father Dad, Father David Michael. I will. I will. Yeah. They could, that, they could put it up on the screen during Mass one. There you go. Yeah. One Sunday and say, okay, we, we received this picture from, you know, Deacon Joseph White. Yeah. You remember him? He was here. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. I'll definitely be sure to do that and, and send that. But yeah, that, that might be one of the bigger ones that I haven't checked off that I'd like to go do. What are the other big ones that you have already done? So, um, I've been to Lourdes in France. Got to go, mm. to go to see Our Lady of Lourdes in France. I've um, I've gone to a lot of places in Italy. Um, got to see um, Saint John Bosco uh, and uh, the Frassati, um as well, um, and uh, Pier Giorgio Frassati. And then um, that's out in Turin. I've gotten to go skiing a couple times in Austria. Go skiing in the Alps. I love, I love to go skiing. Is one of the things I like to do. And then um, you don't uh, get a whole lot of skiing here in Houston. No, no, you don't. But uh, <laughs> I like to, I like to go and and, and go skiing. I've been around Spain a lot uh, to see different places there. Um, yeah, so I've just gotten a lot of. Vienna, I got to see some of like famous operas. So that's the upside of being sent to Rome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the it feels like the world is at your fingertips almost. Europe is right there. It's so accessible. So in the Vatican, I understand you have a really interesting experience meeting the Pope. Yeah, yeah. I was so fortunate to be able to to meet the Pope. Um, you know, I'll, I'll preface this story with another story where I thought I was going to meet the Pope. I, uh, I got to serve, um, midnight mass when the Pope was doing it at St. Peter's Basilica. They needed extra at the time I was an extraordinary minister of Holy communion and they needed mm -hmm. people to distribute communion. And I always heard when you serve the Pope, you get to meet the Pope. Um, so I was excited, but I didn't end up getting to meet the Pope because when I went to distribute communion, I went outside for the people watching it on the TV and distributed it. And it was the funny experience that I had is when I was distributing and saying the body of Christ, all of a sudden I felt this huge slap right on my arm. And I was like, what, what happened? And I looked and a bird had pooped right <laughs> on my arm <laughs> all over my cassock and surplus. And it was nasty. And I was like, Oh my goodness. And it was like, uh, like less than like three inches away from like going into the ciborium where all the hosts were I was like, yes. thank the Lord that didn't go in there. I don't yes. know what I've done. Um, uh, but that was funny, but that, so that was a, 
uh, I thought I was going to meet the Lord instead I got pooped on. I thought I was going to meet the Pope <laughs> instead I got pooped on. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, but then a few So is that later, something that they teach you? Is, there's no lesson to, okay, this is what happens when this happens with, no. with the host. Yeah. I mean, you would have just had to probably put it in water and let it disintegrate is kind of the best way to do that. Uh, I think, but the whole thing would have been ruined. It would have been, it would have been a whole mess. It would have been crazy. You think they should add that in um, under canon law somewhere? This is the, 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 you know, Deacon Joseph White rule. Yeah, yeah. Or what to do I, I with the host. I would love to have if... a name, a name of a rule. That would be awesome. The Deacon Joseph White rule. I'll take that. Uh, so that was, that was great. Even I like if to it's kinda... associated with poop. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I kind of like to think though, I, I tell the story that I like, I saw it and I protected our Lord and just kind of hovered. Oh, there you go. Yes. It was, it was a heroic moment. Sort of like morning. the matrix. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was, uh. It was, but no, that's not how it happened. So I thought I was going to meet the Pope that day. I didn't. Um, a few months later, uh, they had the ad limina visit. So it's to the threshold of the apostles is what it's called, ad limina apostolorum. And it's where the bishops come and venerate the relics of Peter and Paul that are in Rome. And they're, they're supposed to do that every five years. And so it was their time to do that. And during that visit, that pilgrimage where they come and pray for all of us here, in, where Cardinal Nardo comes to pray for all of us here in Houston, they uh, they visit with the Pope, and um, when he got to visit with the Pope, he got to bring a, a guest with him, and so he, nice. he brought me to come with him, and um, and so the Pope. Uh, How did he choose you? Uh, it just uh, it's kind of a tradition that anyone studying in Rome, and since I was already there, and we were there, and they heard like, hey, you can bring your seminarians or your priests who are there, and so. So there were a group of you. Yeah, there okay. was a group of us. So all the Texas bishops went at one time. And so every uh, bishop who had seminarians at the North American College brought their seminarians. And so we went in and I met with the Pope. And what I did was I brought a um, a papal zucchetto, a white zucchetto. It's like a little, a little white hat you, you see him wearing normally around right on top of his head like this. And it's called a zucchetto. And on the inside, I put little stickers um, and one said, to Equipo in Spanish, your team. Um, and it's a picture of San Lorenzo soccer team logo. <laughs> and then below it, I put Mi Equipo. And it's a, uh, my team and, and the logo of the Houston Texans. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and Not the Dynamo? Not the, I, I thought about <laughs> it, but I thought the Texans looked a little bit more Texas, a little bit more like noticeable, like Texans. Yeah. So I, I could have gone with any of the Houston teams, but I went with the... Like your football team is is soccer. My football team is American, American football. football. So that was kind of my idea. But okay. um, and uh, and and it, it got it was pretty funny. We have some good pictures of uh, me showing it to him, and then he laughed. And that was my whole goal. I wanted him to laugh. That's at awesome. It. Who was taking the pictures? Uh, they have a like a the the papal household has a photographer, a professional photographer, and so I did that. And then the tradition is that if you give the Pope a zucchetto, he'll uh -huh. put it on. Yes. And, um, <clears throat> well, uh, so he, what he did is he put it on he said, now all my powers have gone into this hat and now I'm giving it back <laughs> to you. That. Yeah. <laughs> and then he put his normal one back on. Cause he said he, he doesn't, he has like a special size that he likes. And so he doesn't want to, you know, he, he didn't want it to fall off. They so don't he, make that size public. So next time I know they need to, but, uh, yeah, he put that on and but it gave it back to me. And then, so I have that Zucchetto still and it's, it's cool. Where is it? It's in Rome. I should have brought it. That would have been fun. <laughs> well, well, you know, you, you might run into him again and 
That's true. I can give it back to him. And then I would have thought that, I don't know, maybe it's just my idea of what the Vatican's like. But I, w- I would have thought that, you know, maybe you see him walking through the hall now and then, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like you're in the office, you run into somebody from human resources in the hall, say hello, drink around the water fountain. No. Yeah. No, no not no, quite. No. Not quite. It's not like you might see the CEO walk through the hall or something. No, we don't. So nothing like that. Yeah. I live pretty far away from him. The, the, the house where I live, it's technically as a Vatican address, but it's more like extraterritorial Vatican. So I'm about a 10 minute walk from St. Peter. So you don't get to run into him too often. And it's hard to. Just he had him on the street. He's got security around him and stuff. Okay. That's an awesome story. Yeah. That's it was, something you can take with you forever. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was I was excited. My goal was to make him laugh, and he laughed, so it was fun. Do you keep that picture with you at all times? I do, that, yeah. So yeah. in case you do run into him, hey, remember me? I'm the yeah, one with the- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I do. I Yeah. it's uh, That was a really cool experience. Once in a lifetime, for sure. So I understand you spent some time in India. Yeah, yeah. When that, was that? that where, was, where does that fit? So in? that was that was that summer between after my first year in Rome and my second year in Rome. So when we were asked not to go back to the United States, so that's really the only stipulation you have that summer. There's okay. no more classes, and they're like, "Don't you can't go back to the United States." But um, uh, so we ask you to kind of build your own summer, make it formative, something that'll be memorable for you, and take advantage of the fact that you could be anywhere in the world. And, and some guys had gone to India, Calcutta, India, where Mother Teresa was and where she started her religious order of the missionaries of charity. That is awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. So myself and five others from my class, we, we went over there and I was there for five weeks and we just had some, uh, it was probably the best experience and the best form, most formative experience for me in seminary. Um, and you know, and we get there and <clears throat> it was, it was, it was crazy. I mean, we kind of lived very um, simple lives. We lived with some sisters and there's no air conditioning anywhere. So you're kind of sleeping and it's like monsoon season, very <laughs> hot, humid, kind of like Houston with no air conditioning. So you're sweating through the night. So how, how does that start? How do you decide to go there? Do you contact somebody in, in Calcutta? Do you, do you send an email or give them a call or do you get an kind endorsement? Of, yeah. So we, we went and stayed with some other sisters. The missionaries of charities don't, don't have places for people to stay. So we found some other sisters, we contacted them and then we, um, we, we, we basically got housing, but with the missionaries of charity, they're just like, anyone can come and volunteer. So you just show up and you say, I'm going to here to volunteer. So and- you can just knock on the door and it basically, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. And I suggest it to anybody, just go to Calcutta, go and serve for five weeks. You find a place to stay and stay for a while. And, and so we went and in the mornings we would, um, I went to a place called Premdon, uh, and it was a place for like the home for a dying. And so there's about 300 people that they had found on the streets and brought in, you take wow. care of them. And so I, you know, I was just doing really simple task of clipping their fingernails, washing the floors, making their beds, feeding them. Um, these, these men who just, um, are because of illness and, and, and whatnot, I can't take care of themselves anymore. So you just hang out with them for about four hours doing work dishes and, and the like. And then in the, um, yeah, break for lunch. And then in the afternoon, I was at this place called Diadon, which is a place that mother opened, uh, an orphanage that she opened for kids who are disabled, either mentally or physically or both. And so in the afternoon they had finished their school. And so we just go and hang out and play and with the kids and feed them. And it Do was a lot beautiful. of people speak English. Yeah. So the sisters, that's their language that they speak to each other. The missionaries of charity, even in India. 
Okay. They speak English to each other. That's the language of their their order. That Mother Teresa decided to do English because it was a very universal language. Okay. And she knew she would be spreading. She, I guess she just had a sense from God that she'd be spreading over the world. And so she decided to make English her language. And um, so you can communicate with them. And then they, they teach their kids English. And, and a lot of people in India speak English. So it wasn't... It's pretty easy to get around to do to do the things, and um, not as difficult as uh, Rome. No, no, yeah. So it was it was good. I mean, we I stuck out like a sore thumb in India way more than I did in Rome. <laughs> I mean, they're like, "What are you doing here?" Um, and so uh, that that for sure was different. But no, it was it was it was an incredibly spiritual experience for me. I uh, the the sisters they just they understand that when you're serving the poor. You're really serving Jesus Christ, as it talks about in Matthew 25. Mm-hmm. What you did for the least of my brothers, you did for me. And they really believe, they, they've, they've started their order based on that scripture passage. And so even in adoration, we say these at the end called the divine praises. And uh, one of them is, blessed be God in the most holy sacrament of the altar. And they add a divine praise right after that. And they say, blessed, or we say, blessed be Jesus Christ in the most holy sacrament of the altar. We say, blessed be Jesus Christ in the poorest of the poor. And that was, that's just, that just sums up their life. Blessed be Jesus Christ in the poorest of the poor. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And so that's awesome. Yeah. That's, and that's their ministry. They, they would, you know, they they have mass at 6am. They have, they, they pray three holy hours a day. They pray a lot. They spend a lot of time with Jesus in in the blessed sacrament, but they also, they don't, there's not really a disconnect. They, they, they spend time with Jesus and then they go serve Jesus their whole day in the poor. Uh, and that was, that was for real. There was this one kid <clears throat> who was in India and his name was Santu. Um, and, uh, and he was, he was, it was really difficult to get to feed. And I had to feed him and he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I was getting a taste of what it's like for parents trying to feed their kids. <laughs> How old was he? He was probably like uh, maybe six, but he had a mis- mental disability. So he okay. was, you know, you had to feed him and, you know, you had to tie him down. And so he's going like this and just, but when I would sing and I'd sing there, I just had this idea to sing his name. And when I'd sing, he, he kind of calmed down and I was singing Sanctu, Sanctu, which is like a mass part for mm-hmm. Sanctus, which is like yes. holy, holy. And you sing it right before the Eucharist starts. And that was a moment that kind of woke me up um, where it was actually very fitting that I was singing Sanctus at that moment because it was Jesus there. And I was singing to him and like, it was, he is holy because Jesus is present with him. And so, um, yeah, there's just a lot of those moments, a lot of those. Did it hit you at that time? It or? did, yeah, it really did. When I was singing that and I was just kind of like, oh, wow, this is, this is real, you know, and it, this is, you know, I, I guess I had a moment where I was kind of like, oh, maybe this is not good to be singing. Like, it almost like, this is inappropriate. But then I was like, no, actually, this is all the most appropriate time to sing it outside of the mass is to the poorest of the poor. So when it, it when it hits you, is it overwhelming? Is it uplifting? What does it feel like when it hits you? Yeah, I guess an overwhelming sense of peace, I would say. Just an overwhelming sense of, wow, this is really Jesus. You know, and I, I really think that, um, and I believe it. You know, it's not, I believe Jesus is present in the Eucharist, and now I really believe he's present in the poor. 
And, and it just, that intimate connection was pretty amazing when I would just come to prayer in the evening and spend an hour with him in the Eucharist to all of a sudden be like, I spent all day with you serving and now we're just getting to know each other in prayer. And I think that's, and, and it really related for me, like the priesthood, that's, that's what I feel like the priesthood, you know, when I'm serving the people of God, it's not, I'm really serving Jesus Christ. I'm serving the body of Christ, which is the people of God. And so, um, yeah, the, there's not that much disconnect from prayer and service. You have to have both, but there's not that much disconnect. Do you, do you have a journal entry about that? When, when it first happened, or did you call your parents? Uh, what you, what? No, I mean, so all of us, we, we, all five of us that were together, we had this practice of in the evenings, we come together. And by the time Holy Hour had happened, we had to be back for an 8 p.m. curfew with the sisters. Okay. And we missed dinner. So what we would do is when you go over there, we had been told like, bring a bunch of cliff bars because you won't be able to eat dinner. <laughs> so we would just eat our cliff bars like dinner and we would go around in what we called sharing graces and just like a moment of grace. Like a debrief. Yeah, a little debriefing in the end of the day. Um, and so I just shared that with them. And, and I wrote about it in my evaluation that I had to write for the end of the summer and submit to the seminary. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful for me. That's amazing how how Jesus reaches out to you through through that child. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty awesome. I just yeah, I just had a lot of really good um, really good moments like that, and just a recognition of what Mother Teresa was really doing. And and wow. when you when you're in that moment, do you think, wow, all of this sacrifice, this is what it's all about? Mm. Everything that I've gone through, you know, the difficulty in the first year in, in Rome, uh, did all that just kind of feel worth it? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I would put it. It just feels like, yes, this is, this is it. This is, this is the invitation the Lord has given me just to, to be able to serve him at, for my whole life, you know, to be in, in some ways, you know, paid to serve him, to, to work. For Do you go church. back to, to Rome telling all the, the, the newer the newer seminarians, the, you know, the first year ones who are coming in, Hey, go to Calcutta. I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard. I lost 15 pounds. I got really? sick when I was there. I got scabies. You oh, know? cause you have to get used to the water. You have to get used exactly. to the, yeah. And so I got really, I got the most sick I've ever been in my life over there. Like if I was in the States, I probably would have gone to the hospital, but you know, you just go trust the hospitals over there. But, uh, and then, yeah, I ended up coming back with scabies. So, I mean, it's just, it's pretty insane what you have to deal with. So you that. went, you went from Rome to Calcutta. Mm. You spent five weeks there. Mm -hmm. Then you jump back into classes once you get back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's right into your second year. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. uh is it tiring? It is. It is. Um, but, uh, but it's actually like, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty rejuvenating. I would say, uh, because like I said, the summers were those times that I really felt the Lord was um, affirming my vocation. And so, although it might've been like a lot of, like I didn't get much rest of work-wise, I felt rejuvenated in my mission and my sense of what I was supposed to be doing. And that just gives you a lot of more desire and motivation to continue um, pursuing the priesthood. Do you think it would have been different had you gone somewhere else? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I had thought about going to the Holy Land and learning Hebrew and trying to learn some of these biblical languages to learn that stuff. And I think that would have been fine. But I, uh, my spiritual director was like, why don't you pray about that some more? And then 
I felt the Lord drawing me to Calcutta. And I, I think that would have been pretty close to detrimental had I gone and studied for the whole summer. I mean, it's great to learn the languages, but I needed, I needed time of ministry. And so, yeah. And I think I've learned things in Calcutta that I just wouldn't be able to learn other places. So, so, so now that you're looking ahead, yeah. so you've spent the last four months here at St. Faustina, you're preparing to go back to Rome. How much you've got that last year in Rome, correct? Yeah. So after that last year in Rome, what happens next for you? I'll be back in the diocese. So I'll be back here um, and the Cardinal will assign me to somewhere, most likely just to a parish as a parochial vicar, like Father David Michael and I'll, I'll serve. And uh, so do you have a, a tentative date for, for your ordination? June 5th, June 5th, 2021. All uh, right. So there's an actual date already, yeah, not just yeah. the, it's in June sometime. No, no but it's June 5th, June 5th, 2021. Okay. Yeah. We'll mark that down on our calendar. Please so. do. Please do. It's uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty unique. It's actually June 5th is my birthday. So I'm getting ordained on my birthday, which will be pretty, pretty exciting. Okay. So that's why you remember it. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's an easy, I easy know, date to remember. The Lord has been blessed me. So I don't have to remember two dates. When I'm... <laughs> it's because you had good Friday when you talked exactly, to father and dad. Exactly. And then, you know, so it's been easy. It's been easy. So June 5th, do you have any idea where you may be sent as a parochial vicar? No idea. Yeah, no idea. So do you get maybe, to, do you get to kind of like, you know, in the military, I prefer this particular, you know, like, uh, like my dad, he was in the, he was in the Navy and he first choice was Hawaii. Oh, wow. You know, so, and we ended up in Hawaii. That's nice. how I grew up in Hawaii. Do you have it, that kind of a choice or is it all just completely out of your hands? No, it's not. I don't think it's completely out of your hands. Um, now, maybe I need to make a clarification. When I, when I have one more year, that's actually after I'm a priest. So I have two more years in Rome. So I'll be ordained a priest next okay. summer. Then I'll have a summer, a break, and then I'll have to finish my degree. Because I'm getting a, a higher degree than most most priests get. So okay. that I could then teach at the seminary and teach future priests as well. Okay, so a, a normally after <clears throat> that year... A, a priest would come back and be ordained, but you're going to be there for an extra year. Exactly. Okay. So we're looking at two years, two years from now before I will be back in the diocese working. Um, yeah. But that, at that point it'll be, um, it'll be uh, just completely up to like, there's a personnel board, a board of uh, priests who decide and make a recommendation for the Cardinal where I go, but they, they, they interview you and you could tell them like, you know, I would really like this type of parish. You know, I might, I would love to have a school or I'd love to be at a parish where there was Hispanic ministry or whatever, you know, you feel like would be good for you or a pastor that was supportive or a pastor um, like this. And you just kind of. So what are you thinking about? <laughs> uh, I, I'm saying St. Faustina, whatever you can do, <laughs> give me a St. Faustina. Yeah. Well, two years is a ways away. So yeah, a lot can true. happen within two years. Exactly. It, it's kind of hard to know where I'll be in two years. It just depends a lot of where, where other people are and, and where the diocese needs and where they need priests. So that summer in between this coming year and that final year for you, that extra year. Yeah. What do you have planned for that? That's actually a little bit up in the air. Um, We'll see. Usually people, when they go to, like, when they're in doing the kind of program I'm doing, you just spend a summer in the parish. So it's kind of like what I did here at St. Faustina, but you do it as a priest. And so you just kind of spend a summer of ministry. I, on the other hand, really would like to get some uh, Spanish 
more Spanish. Okay. And so I might go down to Mexico and learn Spanish. I might ask if I can do that. So we'll see whatever the diocese at that point, all that stuff is out of my hands. You know, I just make recommendations and then they'll, they'll, they'll do what they want. So, so Italian, you're like, okay, I've got that now. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to Spanish. huh? Yeah, kind of. I mean, a lot more people speak <laughs> Spanish here than Italian, unfortunately. So it's, I have to learn another language, but, uh, so what, uh, no chance you're going to come back to St. Faustina? Um, I mean, there could be, you never know. You never know. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's usually once you've been there for a summer, it's unlikely you'll come back, but you never know. It's happened before. So it could happen again. So right now you're, I guess you're starting to look back at your time here. What would you remember the most about um, being here at St. Faustina? You know, a few things. I mean, I just love, uh, the sense of identity and mission that's here at St. Faustina from a, yeah, from a big perspective or big picture perspective, I think St. Faustina has a very good sense of identity of being a, a parish of mercy, one that really shows mercy to others. And I think that's a very important thing that we need to, to do in this world and what Jesus asks us to do. So I'll definitely remember that sense of family and, and mission, um, and along those lines, I mean, I think I'll, I'll, I'll see like the, just the young, vibrant joy that you feel at St. Faustina is... is. Do you think it's because it's a young parish or do you think it's. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors there. It could be, I think maybe less so just because it's a young parish. I mean, I think you got really good priests here. I think you got Father David Michael, Father Dat, who have a lot of energy, who bring a lot of joy, who uh, really r- rally the troops uh, here and, and do that. And then you just got great people. I mean, it's just the Lord has really brought a lot of great people together here and a lot of great um, people passionate about serving the church and serving our Lord and a lot of young families. And it's sometimes you don't always see that in parishes. So that that's what I'll remember. And then the last thing I'll say is I'll, I'll just remember the friendships. Like I've definitely made lifelong friends here. That's been really, really amazing for me. How challenging has it been being at St. Faustina during this whole coronavirus thing? It has been pretty challenging. You know, I, I told my parents last summer when I was at Christ the Redeemer in Cyprus, one of my favorite things to do is after mass, you just sit out there and you get to see like, uh, you know, like a thousand people leave the church and just talk to them and shake hands, hug them, ask them how they're doing. You just talk to so many people. Um, and then, but now, you know, you just, you can't have that experience. And, uh, so it was, it was challenging at the beginning. It was challenging. I never expected, I've been looking forward to preaching my whole life, but I never expected everyone to be wearing a mask when I was preaching. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'd say a joke and I didn't know if people were laughing they're smiling, if they, they got it, you know, it's just, it looks like a dead face. You know? And and a lot of us are, are watching online as well. Exactly. Exactly. So the, you have these people online, so you never know how they're reacting to what you're saying. Um, and so it was, it was kind of difficult and, and, and finding, okay, what do I do? You know, when I was in the sum- summers, I would just, I'd spend my whole day at the church and I just walk around to all the different activities going on, pop in, see how they're doing, check in on them, talk to people. And that's a whole new game. I mean, I, I drop even, in on, you know, the, yeah, the Zoom, youth. Yeah. Or... Zoom bomb now is what I have to do. But yeah, I would drop in on the youth groups at the parishes. You know, I, last summer I even like going to like the senior citizens game days, you know, and playing like cribbage or whatever it was with them and just having fun. I mean, that's, that's the fun part about being a seminarian this summer. You just, you just get to have a lot of different experiences. So it was definitely difficult, definitely a tough, but um, you do see, you do see a lot more, um, in challenging times, people rise up in their generosity. And that's what I've seen here. I mean, people give a lot of time 
just to make sure that we have mass on Sunday. People really um, have been faithful to logging on and the numbers that you see of people watching live stream has been been pretty amazing to see and and very inspiring. And um, we've got people from all over the world attending as well. I, I know. I heard we got South Africans turn, tuning in. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. So what, what do you want the parishioners of St. Faustina to remember about your time here? Well, that's a good question. Um, I hope people just remember um, me as being someone joyful, excited about being a priest and excited about loving the people. Um, yeah, if I can inspire people to just live their life radically for Jesus, that's that's what I think we need a lot is people to be willing to just do radical things and and how much joy can be found in that. You know, it may seem difficult, maybe tough at the beginning. As it was for me, it was tough and difficult, but uh, there's just there's just a lot of joy um, and and fulfillment and meaning that can be brought when we follow the Lord and His invitation. So and I hope I can be an example of that. Would that be your message to the parishioners that you know that you haven't been able to connect with or speak with? I think so. Yeah, it would be it would be just um, yeah, just get to know our Lord in such a way that you're willing to do anything for Him, and that um, the more we get to know the Lord, the more time we spend with the Lord, the more ready we're able to say yes to whatever he calls us to do. And, and that there's joy and fulfillment in that. And that's, that's really where meaning comes is when we follow what the Lord says. And I just, I hope to be an example of that for them. So if there are any young men or young women who are considering entering religious life, what kind of advice do you have for them? Um, yeah, get to know Jesus. Uh, it's simple, but, uh, spend time with him. That's got to be your first thing. He's got to be your friend. He's got to be your best friend. He's got to be who you lean on, who you go to. Um, and uh, and so my first advice, get to know Jesus. Second is God has a plan for you. He's known you um, when you were in your mother's womb. Uh, and he knows what he wants for you. And he's inviting you to do something. So ask him, involve him in that question. Um, and then take a leap of faith. You know, you might think this is what God's calling me to do. Do it. And then if it's not, the Lord will tell you and uh, he'll guide you in the right way. And he's going to honor and bless you for your, your generosity to respond to where you felt he was leading you. And so don't get, don't get caught in the whirlwind of discernment and only in your head, make, make conscious and concrete steps towards where you think the Lord's leading you. And that's really where the Lord's will is often manifested is when we actually start taking steps and actions towards what we think he's calling us to do. Deacon Joseph White, thank you so much. You know, just remember that even though, you know, you were only here for a few months and a lot of us have seen you only through the screen, that you're still part of the St. Faustina Catholic Church family and you're always welcome back here. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're you're all, y'all will always be in my heart and I really appreciated my summer here. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rudy.